0: Hi everyone! This is Curly Conspiracies. I'm your host this week, Brooke Sasser, and Holly Lowerman is here with us. Hi everyone! So guys, today we have a special treat for you. Today we have someone here with us who reached out after being intrigued by one of our previous episodes, The Malheur Cave. Today we have with us Patrick, and he's a Freemason based out of Oregon who has actually been there and experienced the cave. Patrick, do you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you?
1: Sure. Uh, My name is Patrick Cuomo. I'm here in Albany, Oregon. My home uh, Masonic Lodge is the Corvallis Masonic Lodge, Corvallis number 14. I've been a Freemason for about 10 years. I was the worshipful master or the leader of our lodge in 2017, and um, I'm also a Shriner. If you've ever heard of the Shriners hospitals, I, I'm a part of that as well.
0: Awesome. Well, we're so happy to have you today. And we can't wait to ask you all of our questions. Sure. So I know you mentioned you've been with the Freemasons um, for a while. So could you tell us a little bit about I guess what made you decide to join or why you became a Freemason?
1: Sure. So like I said, about 10 years ago, I, I decided I, I became a Mason. At the time, I was going through some stuff in my marriage at the time. And I, I was looking for something else to do to, enter, to keep myself busy and entertained. And I am a big history guy and a big history buff. And I knew at the time, or I thought I knew at the time uh, about all these different founding fathers and historical figures who were Masons. And I was not working at work one day as we do. And uh, I started researching Freemasonry in general. And then I was curious if there was any local Masonic lodges to where I live. And sure enough, there was one that I found. And I, as I've joined, I found out there's one in almost every city. Uh, but there was only one at the time that had a web presence. And I reached out to uh, a gentleman by the name of Buzz, who has since passed away who I met at the Corvallis Lodge, and he gave me a tour, and was just a real genuine guy, um, and we talked through my motives on wanting to join. Um, I also had a couple great uncles who were Masons back in New York, and I thought might be kind of a cool thing to look into, and it it just felt right at the time, and I submitted my petition, and I think a month or two later I got, I was initiated as an entered apprentice. Within about a month, I was, uh, I did the second degree, which is called fellow craft. And maybe two, three months later or so, I became a master mason, which is the third and final degree of masonry. And uh, I've grown as a person pretty significantly since then. Um, The main motto of the fraternity is to make good men better. And that was really intriguing to me at the time. And I, it certainly has. I mean, if you have something on the back of your car, a bumper sticker that shows your affiliation with someone, you drive a little bit better, you're not as mean. (laughs) And it it was just a really good thing for me. And that's kind of the story of how I joined, I guess.
2: And that's really interesting. So what are the, what is the difference between the different levels in the Freemasons?
1: So um, first thing to, to get out of the way is you'll hear a lot, people are 32nd or 33rd degree Masons. That is something called Scottish Rite, and they are an appendant body to Freemasonry. But it doesn't matter if you're a 33rd or whatever these hypothetical, you know, uh, 360 degree Masons or whatever they, they say there is, the highest degree is the third degree, which is you are a master Mason. When you join you're in, in. you're initiated, you are an inner apprentice. And at least in Oregon, in my home jurisdiction, what you have to do before you pass to the next degree, which is fellow craft, you have to do a, um, a test, I guess, is how you would say it. it. It's a memorization thing where you kind of have to give a bit of a, a talk about what your degree was like um, and answer questions, it's all, and it's all memorization work. Um, and as an entered apprentice, you're entitled to go to meetings. Uh, you, If something were to happen to you, you can be buried in with full Masonic funeral rites and everything like that. Um, after that, and you become a fellow craft Mason, you do a, the, a similar test, I should say, before you get to become a master Mason. It's just a little bit longer and the same thing at the third. And that's kind of where that term came from, which is getting the third degree is a Masonic term about being questioned at the end of your third degree. Uh, Like I said, each jurisdiction is different. When that term was coined, I don't know if perhaps they only did a question uh, test sort of situation at the third degree only, but at least in Oregon, we do it for all three. And it's a way of learning memorization, because nothing in masonry that's important is written down. Everything is in cipher. And that sounds really mysterious, but the reality of it is the cipher is just the first letter of each word. So as you go through the, through the degrees, you are learning how to read those things, and you're working on your memorization so that when you eventually become a master mason and you help other people, to take their degrees and do degree work. Um, you kind of have a basis of of understanding of how to to do memorization. Um,
2: so, is yeah. it like almost a different language? Is that I mean, um, the um, or acronyms or?
1: Uh, there are acronyms. Um, okay. It was written in a different time and place, so some of the verbiage is difficult to understand. Um, in terms of, it sounds like old English sometimes, not greatly we're not saying ye olde stuff or, <laughs> you can definitely tell that sometimes the sentence structure you're like why did they say it that way and it's because of how old it is um the other thing is that the Oregon Grand Lodge when they became a thing and Oregon uh, became a state most of the men and masons who started the Oregon uh Grand Lodge hadn't been in a Masonic Lodge in many years they they went through the time of traveling on the Oregon Trail or whatever other trails that they did and they came to Oregon and they hadn't been in a Masonic Lodge so many times our Oregon work sounds a little bit different than if you go to like Washington or California I've been to other places and uh, heard from other people from other states and it does sound a little bit different but I kind of put it in the same boat of if you're Catholic, and you go to a Catholic church, sometimes things might be a little bit different somewhere else. But for the most part, it all sounds the same, or it all hits the same beats. Um, But no, it's all in English. Uh, There's nothing too crazy on it. I I do know that some folks that English wasn't their native language really struggled, because it isn't, it it, it is a weird, the, the words that we use sometimes are strange, and are as my dad would say, like a a $10 word, a really big word that isn't used real often anymore. Uh, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. That would be a good example. And I can't right now, but um, yeah, that's kind of the gist of it.
2: Wow. That's really fascinating. (laughs) Yeah. I would not expect that. That's not what I, (laughs) no, I didn't (laughs) expect that at all. And to go back into a different like time period almost with the language and having to memorize these words. Wow. Yeah. I don't think I could do that. That's a lot of studying and yeah, I don't know if I could do that. I can barely get my own language correct sometimes.
1: (laughs) And it can be daunting and certain people are better at it than others. I have a flair for the theatrical. So for me, it wasn't a big deal, but I've worked with people that certainly struggled. Um, and uh, the degrees themselves that we put on are kind of like little plays, I guess, is how you could say it. But the cool thing is that though the verbiage might be a little bit different state to state, by and large, the, the initiation that I went through is, the, is pretty much the exact same initiation as George Washington and, and other famous Freemasons that you can think of. We all, with minor variations, went through the same three degrees and said pretty much the same words. And it's a cool link to three, 400 years ago when masonry first became a thing.
2: Wow. So they really kept their traditions like throughout the whole, all throughout the centuries. Wow. That's crazy. And so we know that you've met and seen the Mouthier Cave a Mm -hmm. good amount of time. So could you tell us a little bit more about what goes on in the meetings, what they're like?
1: Sure. So the Mallier Cave is only used once a year. Uh, well, I guess it could be used more often, but we use it once a year for a degree. It's the last I, it's the last full weekend of August. I, I had to think about that for a second. Uh and we typically get out there Thursday or Friday and we just kind of hang out. It's 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 really just a camp out or a party. We've had up to I think 125 or 130 men since I've been there, um, back in the heyday of masonry, which was really the fifties and sixties, they had sometimes even larger numbers of, of people that would show up. Um, but I've been there with as low as 50 or 70 guys up to that. Um, and the purpose of it is that on Saturday we do a master mason degree for, um, usually a member of the Burns Lodge. Uh, and it is just a real big event. Um, they've been doing it for 86 years, I think. This year, it didn't happen because of COVID. Um, we did go out there and do a little bit of uh, maintenance work, but we couldn't meet because of the COVID restrictions. And uh, we haven't been able to do a lot of stuff because of COVID this year. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, typically, we have our we do uh, a portion of the degree in the cave. There are bleachers. Um, In an old video that I think is online, you'll see these old wooden bleachers. Those have been since removed because they were dangerous, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) And um, What we did in August when we went out was we we bought um, new aluminum bleachers and that's what we were doing was we were busting out the old ones to get them out, which they were, some of that wood was 70 plus years old. And how one of us didn't get a rusty nail in us is beyond me but uh, <laughs> yeah. we put up so, yeah well it, w- it could have been bad and we put up some aluminum bleachers so that it uh would be a little bit safer for people because somebody did actually fall through um one of the wooden bleachers uh, two years ago
2: oh actually,
1: no <laughs> I, I fell through a portion of a bleacher but I was okay the another person hit pretty hard he didn't didn't look like he enjoyed that
2: oh Oh. man so I guess it was time for that upgrade then (laughs) it
1: it was it was um and uh there is power down there uh we have to bring in a generator on a flatbed kind of a thing that's kept at the mouth of the cave uh we run uh wiring down the side wall of the cave past the gate that's now there um up to some lights that are in the ceiling And that way that we have light while we're having our meetings.
0: In the pictures, it looks kind of like scary down there. I'm sure with the lights on, it's not as bad. And now with like the new bleachers, but does it feel ever like a little scary or haunted, especially with like kind of the ancient tales or (laughs) that kind of go along with the cave?
1: (laughs) So yes, uh, it does sometimes. Um, I had the pleasure two, no, three years ago, to um, help put on the degree. And as I told you, since I have a bit of a flair for the dramatic, I, that was really cool to be in this cavern and being able to um, speak and you can hear your voice reverberate and everything. But um, there is a concrete pad that I think you guys also saw in a video. And that concrete pad isn't used for anything outside of putting a podium on it. And the worship master or the person who's acting as worship master at the time sits there and I've, I've always thought that with about 15 feet past where this guy sits, it is pitch black. It's to the rest of the game. And I think it, I think it's the movie, The Descent. I always think of that movie. Oh. Like, <laughs> like, something, like something's gonna come up and grab this guy. And something I was just thinking of um, while I'm on the, the call with you, I have a picture inside the cave from several years ago that I can show you a little bit about what it looks like
2: in the photo, I was going to say like from this angle, the cave looks much larger than I was expecting because from the other yeah. photos that we've seen, it doesn't look that big. Like it looks maybe just a little bit taller than, I don't know, like <laughs> like maybe so, seven or eight feet, but this looks uh, huge. Yeah, the very roomy. The,
1: cave, the entrance of the cave barely, and I mean within about two inches, barely fits a full size truck. Because we have driven trucks down there to do work. And I mean, it's real close. I would never take one of my vehicles. I wouldn't trust my ability. But <laughs> so we, so we can fit a, like, a, like a small, like a Toyota Tacoma or something like that. You can fit down there. And then it opens up pretty dramatically.
2: It
0: looks totally different, all lit up with like people inside of it. And,
1: yeah, and, that's, yeah, a, and that's, that's an crazy. older photo. So that, those are the old um, wooden bleachers. Okay. Interesting.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting because just in the other ones, it just looks like dark and you know damp, and but in here, it definitely looks a lot different when all the lights are in and it's bright in there, and then all the people in there as well. It just has a whole different feel than <laughs> the other photos that we've seen. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it is it is dank and dark in there. Um, you lose sight within about 150 feet of the entrance, because it kind of just does a right-hand dog leg, I guess. So you almost are pretty much immediately cut off from the light that's coming in. And uh, you—it it is pitch black. It is absolutely pitch black. Um, I think I was told it's about 56 degrees constantly. All year round, it could be 120 outside or negative 20 outside. It doesn't matter the inside of the cave, I guess. And all caves are, um, kind of homogenized at a certain temperature. So it's about 56, 57 degrees um when you're sitting there, it gets cold at that temperature, you got to wear a jacket. But if you're moving around and doing stuff, it's okay. And I don't remember what they tell you. I think they say it's 800 yards long. That has got to be a lie. It seems so much longer when you're trying to get to the end of the cave because every year we just one time will walk all the way to the end because there's an underground lake and it's kind of cool to to walk down there, but it's it's a, it feels longer than it is. I think.
2: I was about to ask you if you had like explored the cave fully, but yeah. So you say that there's a lake on the other side. So do you guys use the lake at all, or just that opening portion? The,
1: the, the only thing that we use the lake for is um, we a couple times uh, people bring inflatable rafts and stuff back there, or like <laughs> kayak, and we'll float back all the way to the end because it's a it is crystal clear if you're not looking down you can walk straight into the to the lake it, it is and it's really cold um and we've gone back there and kind of explored and there's really nothing back there outside of um there's some graffiti that we can't get to we have no idea how we, somebody did it because they must have been on a boat on a ladder or the water must have been much higher because it's 15 feet up in the air we have no idea how they got to it and wow so we it. That's
2: weird oh my gosh that's really strange
1: (laughs) and it's not even like fun like cave painting graffiti it's just like random stuff (laughs) oh
2: disappointing but
0: But the whole raft thing sounds fun and terrifying all at the same time
1: (laughs) yeah and then you're you get in the raft you float back and then you turn off the lights and then you oh no freak out you're like okay this was a dumb idea (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, not about that.
1: <laughs> you only do it an how... about and then you're pretty good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> how deep is the water
0: in the lake? Do you know?
1: I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if we should even call it a lake, really. But it it goes back once you hit the water, and the water does come up in the in the winter, I guess, up to quite a bit further up. But where it is in the summer when we go is all pre- is pretty much in the same place. It goes back maybe 300 feet and it turns a little bit. I'm told, and I would never do this, but I'm told that if you were brave enough and you had scuba equipment, it empties out into a lake that's outside the cave somewhere. I would never, it sounds really dangerous, (laughs) but I would theoretically do that.
2: Wow. Yeah, that does sound dangerous. I mean, we yeah. scuba dive, but I don't think that's, I don't think that's anything that's on our um, bucket list of things to do. Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, I and, and there, the
1: there have been people that have, um, with a, I can't remember what university, there's been a university that's went out there and done some tests in the cave. I think they said they found like a brine shrimp in the, in the water. That's like the only place you could find it. I, I don't know.
0: <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> So I know when we talked before, um, you mentioned a little bit about helping put up the gate that is now at the front of the cave. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about why there was a need for a gate or if the gate has helped or I guess more about the gate in general?
1: Sure. So like I said, we've been holding degrees out there for 80 some odd years. Um, the, uh, The local Burns Lodge owns the cave uh the story goes that it was given to them in the early 1900s when teddy roosevelt was handing out state lands because he was a freemason if that's true or not i'm not sure uh, everyone who was around is long gone so you can't even ask but uh it, it had been open for years and years and years and um a group of us from corvallis and uh, a local lodge in tiger and the guys out in burns really really became um close from going out to the cave we became really really good friends and we were getting upset because every year we were having to go out there early to pack out garbage from the cave uh it was a semi-known destination it is literally in the middle of nowhere but i guess it, it's on uh, certain maps and people would go out there and they'd party and they were busting out those um those wooden bleachers to like have fires inside the cave, which I feel like the you would get sick <laughs> from the smoke.
0: Oh from yeah, from
1: that wood. But uh, people were busting out the bleachers and were having fires or attempting to have fires. Uh, those big black contractor garbage bags. We would pull out four, five, six of those every year of just garbage, and I mean everything from clothing to beer bottles to anything you can think of, and. Um, I think about the third or fourth time that we started cleaning up graffiti, we were like, okay, we need to figure something yeah. out. And the other situation is we knew that those uh, bleachers had a shelf life. We knew that they were coming to the end of their life. they were becoming dangerous. We had to deal with it. So we wanted to put in aluminum bleachers, but our fear was, and I think a relatively well-founded fear is that somebody was going to go out there and start cutting into our aluminum bleachers because there is a little bit of value in them. And we just, they're very expensive. We just couldn't do that. So we started tossing around the idea of how do we secure the cave so that we don't have to do this every year. And uh, there's always that worry in the back of someone's head that somebody could get hurt out there and there's no cell service in the cave or out in that within a couple of miles, there's no cell service. And out in the hills, there's rattlesnakes. Do do we wanna be involved in something if somebody got hurt? So a few of us started getting together and figuring out how to secure it. And we came up with the idea of a gate. And a brother of mine, uh, Greg, we started um, fundraising for the cave and we started selling shirts. And it was really simple, just selling shirts for 20 bucks a pop or something And all the money was going to the gate. And we were squirreling away for a couple years. And um, that iron from that gate is uh, actually old 1800s, uh, 1900s um, Carnegie Railroad steel that someone had access to and donated it. And actually, I've got this cool little knife here that uh, my buddy Greg made for me from that Carnegie steel from the gate. So
2: that's kind of so cool. That is really (laughs) cool.
1: Um, So we put the gate up with a temporary lock at the time. We knew it was going to be temporary, and within two months, somebody had cut open the lock to get in the gate. Uh, So we went back this last year and put on something that nobody's ever going to take down. (laughs) Uh, So we we just really had to. It became a safety concern. It became a financial concern. We were, you know, and. It, it had to be done um we were lucky to be able to to get as much money as we did and have the donations that we did to make something as ornate as you saw really and truly the first thought of this was going to be a very basic gate um and we we were very blessed to have so many people so many very talented people work on this um they don't let me touch power tools for very good reasons so for me i was a fundraising guy <laughs> um, <laughs> And there were a group of, I think, about eight or nine guys uh, in 2019 that put that gate up. And they did a fantastic job. And they were out there for a week. And the, the gate was built up in Tigard at a guy's house. And he put in hundreds of hours of grinding and welding on this thing. And they put in hundreds of hours on working on this gate. And they did an amazing job. And it's going to be there forever. Well, most <laughs>
2: It
0: looks so nice, too, the picture you showed us, and we'll share it, too, but um, it looks so,
2: like, very fancy. It looks great. <laughs> yeah, it really does. I was kind of, like, impressed with the logo on the front being, I mean, and if that's all out of that Carnegie steel, that is really amazing. Yeah. Some, some
1: of it's not, because that stuff is so hard to work with that they couldn't, so so my buddy who made this knife thought it was just going to be a quick little project, it took him so much longer because this steel is so hard to, to work with. And um, so m- most of the Carnegie steel is the supports and the rest of it is some other sort of uh, material that they had found that's really strong. And the Burns Lodge is more than willing to do tours out there. And if you call them up and say, Hey, I want to check out the like check out the cave, they'll meet you out there. It's just we we're just doing it in a controlled environment where because we're worried about Everything that we're worried about.
2: Wow, that would be amazing. So I think um, a road trip is, uh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) or maybe a
0: flight. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
2: flight would probably be a
0: little faster.
1: (laughs) Well, and and about 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes down the road, going towards Burns, because it's 56 miles outside of Burns, is a place called Crane Junction, which is a uh, hot springs. And that's where a lot of people stay, and everybody, a lot of those people ended up at the cave and that was what our issue was. So what's been nice is the owners of the, the hot springs have been very understanding and they direct everybody who's interested in it to the burns guys and the, And the, they'll meet people out there. They're always willing. How many people have taken them up on it? I don't know, but they're always willing to to, to show it off because it's a cool thing. And we just wanted to protect what we had.
2: Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, it yeah. does. And it's yeah. it's just so interesting. And one of the questions that I've had, so we've seen a lot of Freemason lodges and buildings that the Freemasons will congregate at. Do you know a specific reason why the cave is like the popular place for the Freemasons to meet at?
1: Um, so the Burns Lodge who owns it has their own building in Burns and that's where they meet every month for their typical thing. It's really far out in the middle of nowhere. So it's very difficult to do it more than once or maybe twice a year if you really got excited about it. Um, honestly, it is a day of, it is a weekend of fellowship between a bunch of brothers. Um, there are men who I've met out there who I would have never met in any other circumstance because they live uh, all over Oregon, Idaho, and Washington. We get a lot of guys from out of state that come in. And it is just a really good time. It's a bit of a party. One year we've got it. We've got a, a brother down in Eugene who owns tattoo parlors, and he brought up tattoo stuff. And a couple guys got Masonic cave tattoos one year. And it's, Oh.
2: Uh, yeah,
1: I'm not getting a tattoo in the <laughs> middle of the desert. Uh, I was
2: about to ask if you had one.
1: <laughs> no, no, not the, I. I'm not getting. I'm not getting stabbed with needles in the middle of the desert. <laughs> just.
3: <'cause laughs> <you> know, <laughs>
1: it's just a time for guys to get together. And especially when you get up to between that 70 and 120 person mark, you end up meeting people from all over. And some of these guys, I only see once a year and it is like picking right back up where we left off. It's the same jokes. I, you can't walk 10 or 15 feet in that campground without some old timer giving you a hard time for something for anything, you know, for the shirt you're wearing. And just, it's, just being funny. Uh, You end up sitting down at a group with guys who are in their 30s and 40s, up to guys in their 80s and 90s. And those guys in their 90s have been coming here for 30, 40 years. And uh, it's it's great to hear the stories, and they're fun. And everybody calls each other brother, because that's what we do within the Masonic Lodge. And uh, I can tell you that there's not a guy that I've ever met through this stuff that I wouldn't trust implicitly, with like my house keys, if if they needed to come get something at my house, I'd trust every single one of these guys. One of my very best friends, Greg O'Neill, who is uh uh my was my mentor when I joined, I'd trust him with my kid. If something happened to me, he my kid would be weird at the end of it, but I would trust him with my <laughs> kid. You know? And uh, that's really the fellowship behind the Masonic Lodge, and the Cave degree. I understand, got a little bit small in the 80s and 90s. And there's been a resurgence because men who've been joining the Masonic Lodge have been younger. Membership has gone down dramatically since the 50s and 60s by like a 10th. And uh, when I joined, I mean, I I was 20, 21 when I joined. Um, When I joined the Lodge, I was obviously the youngest guy there, but I was like the youngest guy there by like 30 years. (laughs) And, uh, since I joined, we've had a lot more guys in their thirties and forties that join, and twenties and, um, it, it's, it's had a resurgence and I don't know what to attribute that to, but there's been a lot more guys that have been inquiring with us to join.
0: That's interesting. I wonder why, but that's really cool. That's great that it's, yeah,
2: sounds nice.
1: and and i i want to i want to put it out there because everybody always asks how do you become a mason
2: i was Uh, about to ask that you keep beating me to all the questions (laughs)
1: well so i I will tell you i hear the same questions over and over again so i pretty much know what people are going to ask about it
2: that makes sense i get it (laughs) and
1: and to become a mason you have to ask one it's straight up what it is uh you don't have to have these connections necessarily that people think of um When you think of uh, Masonic Lodges and you think of like presidents and and things like that, you just have to ask. Most lodges should have websites. They don't all. And some of those websites are really bad. But um, if they have a website, you can reach out. They will always talk to you. Uh, They're always willing to meet with COVID restrictions being a thing now. Right. Uh, And we are still holding meetings with, limitations and uh you really just have to ask they'll tour they'll give you a tour of the lodge um if you looked at the website i sent you i think at the very bottom of the page has some pictures of the inside of our lodge our lodge is very ornate um most lodges are not <laughs> and if you see our lodge and you anticipate every lodge to look like that you'd be very disappointed but uh if certain areas of the country have absolutely beautiful ornate lodges. Um, One of my good friends here from Corvallis moved to Boston for uh, work and he joined Paul Revere's lodge, but you don't just go to Paul Revere's lodge. You got to be on like a waiting list kind of thing. Most lodges aren't like that, (laughs) but no, you just have to ask and petition. And uh, when you petition uh, and I'm the caveat being, this is an (laughs) organ and certain areas may be slightly different, but the by and large, when you petition, you give references like you would for uh, a job, but instead of work employment, um, you we ask for uh, personal recommendations from just people that you know and not necessarily family members. And we uh, we call them up and ask them about you, and we sit down with you. and It's usually three guys that are on an investigative committee. They sit down if we can at their house so we can kind of get a feel of it and we can talk to their significant other if they have one and just ask, because, you know, there is a, a bit of a time commitment involved in this when you join and we want to make sure that everybody's okay with it. And we and we ask or we answer as many questions as we can that you may have, that the person might have. And then we ask questions about their morality. I told you at the beginning that the motto of the Masonic Lodges or of Freemasonry is to make good men better. We don't make bad men good. We're not interested in that. Um, We make people who are already intrinsically good people into hopefully better people. And we're not a religion. There is some religious portions of of our uh, degree work. There are prayers, but there are members of my lodge who are Episcopal priests and Catholics, but there are also uh, Muslims and Jews and all kinds of different denominations of a lot of different kinds of religions that are Masons. And ultimately when we meet, we say we meet on the level. It doesn't matter if the president of something comes in to the lodge, uh, he's on the same level as anybody else. It doesn't matter who you are, everybody is, is the same. And there are two main taboos within Masonry, which are uh, politics and religion we don't talk about them. Uh, You you can have your views and your opinions. We're uninterested (laughs) because those are the two things that divide people.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I could, I mean, yeah, those are (laughs) definitely the things that are the most debated for sure. (laughs) Um, So would you say it's hard to get into the Freemasons or to be accepted into it?
1: You know, it depends. Um, I live in a, or I don't live in the college town. My lodge is in a college town. Uh, Oregon State University is in Corvallis, and uh, we, on occasion, have um, very young men want to join. And I was 20, 21 at the time when I joined. But not all young men are ready for it. Realistically, um, these are college guys that are still ready to go out and party and do stuff. And and that's okay. We're we're fine with that kind of stuff. We're not we're not prude about that kind of stuff. But you need to be in the right mindset and not all men are ready. Uh, it's not real often, but we have turned people down uh, that, that wanna join. And there's usually a couple different versions of that. It's people who think that we know who killed Kennedy or something, or we've got these secrets that we don't have. Um, there's not this world domination thing that we have planned. Uh, I have to circle the block three times to find parking <laughs> I, if I, I, I'm i not trying to, t- I'm not taking over the world if I have to look for parking that hard. Um, but, but we do have people that come out and, and there is a lot of conspiracy around the Masonic Lodges and that's okay. We're, we're aware of it and we understand it. Um, and, and we answer questions because even somebody with good intent is going to have those questions and we're fine with it. There's like five or six History Channel documentaries on Freemasonry. Like, the information's out there, let's talk about it. So we have people like that. And then we do do background checks, at least in Oregon. Now, this in the last couple of years, we started doing that. We don't immediately preclude people who have gotten into trouble in their past, depending on what the trouble is. Um, we just have the conversation with them. Okay, what happened? I was 19 and did something stupid. Well, okay, we can talk to you about that. Um, there, But we have turned people down. If it's if we don't think it's the best thing for them and, or the best thing for masonry ultimately. Our when we vote, uh that's what they say is they say you need to vote in the best interest of masonry. And not every man is cut out for it.
0: So I know you mentioned or touched on it just a little bit, um, about there being a lot of like conspiracy and kind of, I guess, people thinking there's a lot of secrecy involved in Freemasons, but um, I guess my question is what is like the craziest thing I think that you've heard that Freemasons are doing (laughs) or do people in Oregon think that like crazy things are happening in the cave like is that a common (laughs) common thought?
1: (laughs) The the cave specifically big time big time people think we're doing some real suspect stuff. Um, (laughs) uh, I, I don't remember which one I saw but it was some video that somebody had or pictures that when they were in the cave years and years ago and they saw something that they thought was blood and I don't know what it was it to me it looked like paint uh outside of maybe somebody cutting their hand I don't think there's ever been blood inside the cave Um, (laughs) when I was the master of Corvallis uh you get interesting emails because we're on the website right so people will email you questions and sometimes I have no idea what these people are talking about. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I would I would call up guys who'd been in the lodges longer than me, and like, hey, what? Like, have you ever heard of something like this? And they're they have no idea. Um, the cave, though, certainly attracts a certain strangeness because it is weird. I mean, I, I one of the things I talk about when a new person wants to join the lodge is I ask them about how they're significant other fields right because this is a weird thing that we do (laughs) like i'm like my fiance nikki thrives in this because she she thrives in situations where she's a she she's a very personal person but uh the average person isn't necessarily ready or willing to show up at a at a dinner with a bunch of old dudes typically and and have dinner and conversation with them um and you need buy-in because it's, you know, you sometimes, your significant other comes to events um, or to, to different things. Uh, our lodge meets twice a month. Nikki doesn't come to those, obviously, because those are just our stated meetings. But there are times that she does come. And um, like I said, it, we're a bunch of weird dudes. I, I straight up admit it. it it's, um, this is something that's very old that we've carried on For several hundred years and it's a good thing ultimately I think but we do some weird stuff and I'm aware of it and everybody always asks about the secrets or the secret initiations and the reality is if you're interested everything's online everything's out of context because somebody put a, a, a small portion of it online or somebody heard something that somebody else said and put it on so many times it's very confusing what you see or read online. Uh, and, but there are kernels of truth in a lot of it. Um, our initiations are a little different. I think one of the, the History Channel documentaries uh, kind of had an example of an initiation. Um, there's a movie with Johnny Depp called From Hell that has a, a very good representation of a Masonic Lodge and a Masonic in- initiation. It's out of order completely it doesn't it doesn't make sense to us who've seen it but um it's not a bad representation it's about jack the ripper it's gory it's if, if you're into that kind of movie but <laughs> the reality is it's it's a pretty decent representation of what an inside the inside of a masonic lodge at that period of time would have looked like
2: and i know you've kind of touched on this a little bit um but I don't know if you can, but could you possibly tell us what happens during a Freemason meeting?
1: Sure. And, and I, y- you'll need to keep me on point a little bit because I do tend to ramble. So I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> no, that's um, fine.
1: So we have two different kinds of meetings. We have stated meetings and we have special communications. Stated meetings are the typical business meeting that a lodge will have once or twice a month. In Oregon, most, most of the time it's once a month. My lodge is kind of weird. We meet first and third Wednesday of every month. And uh, those are business meetings. If you've ever been in any boring business meeting ever, that is pretty much what it is. We open our meetings uh, with a bit of a ritual and it's just a ritualized opening. And uh, each degree, because you can open on either the Enterprise, Fellow Craft or Master Mason degree, Uh, each opening and closing is a little bit different from the rest of it. Um, But once you are past that, you're into into like, okay, sickness and cheer kind of stuff, Uh, new business, old business, stuff like, like things that you would have in any typical meeting. And depending on the lodge and depending on their finances and ability, that really changes what that meeting looks like. Our lodge, we do okay financially. Uh, so for us, we can donate money when we can. During these the wildfires that we had here last month, I guess, uh, we were able to donate a couple thousand dollars through the combination of members of the Lodge donating and then the Lodge matching funds and the Grand Lodge of Oregon matching part of those funds to help us further. We've been able to uh, get some food boxes from places up in Washington and hand them out to local places for people that need food. Um, one of the big charities that I was involved with was a local food pantry when I was master. And the current person who's mastered the lodge has taken that and done way better than I ever did. And so each lodge typically has its own charities that we like to associate with. For us, that's what we do is we do a lot of food insecurity stuff. Oregon has a relatively high population of um, homeless children so and, and things like that. So. We're very sensitive to that. The other thing is Masonic Freemasons in general tend to be pretty patriotic. So we also are pretty involved in veterans organizations. Um, One of the pictures that you saw on that website is a giant flag. And that was in the Veterans Day parade that Albany has. Um, And we carry this flag every year. And if you continue to become a, if you you continue to to be a Mason and you decide you can join things like things like the Shriners, like I did. And the Shriners have a a nationwide system of hospitals that takes care of kids. So that's like a a standard stated meeting, right? Yes, there's ritual. But if you've ever, I I can't imagine you guys have ever been to like an Elks Lodge or an Eagles Lodge, but it's stuff kind of like that, both a little bit more pomp and circumstance. So that's that's a stated meeting. Special communications, which can be held on stated meeting nights, are uh, initiations. That's when we initiate a person and or do a fellow craft degree and or do a master mason degree for somebody. That is more serious, typically. That is when we have much more ritual. We open and close like we would normally, but we do ritual to initiate somebody. And um, there is an obligation that they have to take. And typically that obligation is to things like secrecy, But that obligation is also to kind of just not be a jerk, frankly. It's in much more eloquent terms. But (laughs) it's about, you know, being a good human being. And um, there's a lot of ritual and it's kind of funky ritual. I I tell people it's like a play. And it's, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of how to, I'm not dancing around it too much in terms of like, I'm afraid of giving away secrets because everything is online. But uh, more of like how how to properly say it. But but you know people are hoodwinked. You know they 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 some they when you are initiated you are searching for something and we're trying to help you find it. Masons are really big into the esoteric version of light. We're we're all looking for light, whether that be internal or external or whatever else, and that's what the degrees kind of focus around is you searching for whatever that light is in your life. And um, when we talk about God in the Masonic Lodge, we're not talking about the Judeo-Christian God necessarily. We're talking about whatever God means to that specific person. Um, And we don't refer to them as anything other than God or the great architect of the universe, because Masons believe that there is a divine creator and that however you view that divine creator and that you uh that they were an architect that they built this universe around us and um it is kept relatively intentionally vague because it's supposed to fit a lot of different kinds of religions all over the world and there are masonic lodges all over the world and um there are places that freemasons are persecuted uh, depending on where you live. We don't have any of that in, in the United States or in, in in Europe for the most part. So yeah, that's kind of a, a long-winded, rambly explanation of what meetings are kind of like, I guess. Um, like I said, business meetings are business meetings. They're boring. I'm waiting for them to, for the guy to be done talking so I can go home. <laughs> and pre, pre-COVID, after those meetings, we would have, we'd sit down, maybe have a beer or we, or, you know, have have snacks afterwards, or have a dinner beforehand when we were allowed to do that kind of stuff. This year's been weird and boring, but no, it's just a typical business meeting. We have to pay the bills, keep the lights on, stuff like that.
0: Much different than the conspiracy theory, <laughs> yes.
1: It is. So I I want to I do I will address that a little bit, which is there was a period of time, and when I say a period of time, I'm talking the 1770s when Masons were revolutionary and started a revolutionary war (laughs) um the boston uh, tea party was planned in the green dragon tavern green dragon tavern is a masonic lodge they were freemasons many different people who were uh, founding fathers were freemasons so when you look back and you look at a a group of guys who overthrew a world power i get it i get why you would think that they were is more conspiracy around it than there really is. And um, we've, we've all heard tales of guys who were Masons who broke their obligations and disappeared. Has that ever happened? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, if it has, it probably hasn't happened in a hundred years or so, um, but I, I do get it. When you have a lot of presidents and founding fathers who were Masons, you start to question what's going on, um, and when you have a lot of people of the the British royal family who were Masons, you're like, "What's going on? Why are all these really high powered guys meeting, and what are they talking about?" The reality is, we're arguing about what kind of sandwich we want after lodge. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, there the, and there is and that I I I would guess that is what most people think. Um, They look at things like the dollar bill, and they see all this stuff, and they've seen national treasure, and they think of the Templar gold and all this different stuff. And um, the reality is, maybe at a period of time back then, there was um, more to that, but in 2020, there really isn't. Um, You can go to Washington, D.C., for the most part, and tour uh, beautiful Masonic buildings that are there that are, um, uh, the Grand Lodges and things like that. And, uh, you can go to DC and you'll see some weird stuff because many of the architects were Masons. So yeah, that's, I, I I assume that is why most people think that there's this new world order, but the reality is, um, in August I was out at the cave with, uh, a past Grand Master of Oregon, uh, who's been a mason for I don't know a million years. He's he's an old guy. And <laughs> I I've been you know I you know had a whiskey with this guy and and I typically am with a lot of these guys who are who are grandmasters of the state of Oregon who have been in every appendant body that we have York right Scottish right whatever and there's just nothing there's really nothing behind it and I, I, I feel bad that I, I, I don't want to, that this is a little bit more mundane than you probably thought it was going to be, but realistically in 2020, it is what it is, man. We're not, uh, we're not changing too much nowadays. Our pop, our, uh, our membership's pretty low. Maybe if we get more guys, we can start doing something. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I, I don't think 2020 can handle much more, so no, no, it's probably no, good. good. I, I don't think
1: 2020, uh, masonic (laughs) takeover yeah so
2: before we close out is there anything else that you would you feel the need to share or would like to share with our listeners before we just Um, end this episode
1: you know if I had to give one final statement or something of that nature it would be to reiterate that masonry is designed to make good men better and we do need more membership. We do need more men who are interested in joining. And we, uh, you will find yourself meeting people that you would never have met prior of all different age groups. You will find really good men that will uh, influence your life dramatically. I, I showed you the knife that the, my buddy made me. Greg O'Neill is one of the best men I've ever, I've ever known. Weird dude, but one of the best men I've ever known. And uh, I'm blessed to have people like him and other brothers in my life. And I think that the world would be a lot better with a little bit more masonry in it. Uh, We talked about the taboos. We talked about not talking about politics and religion and um, being able to meet people or or meet with people without that social construct around you allows you to have deeper esoteric conversations about the world around you regardless of people's individual religious beliefs, I I personally feel that there is something more uh, out there. And um, I think it is good for somebody to interact with people who don't agree on a lot of different things and who have different religious or political beliefs. And you can have conversations outside of Lodge about those things. And it will make you ultimately, I think a better person. I know I'm not the same guy I was 10 years ago. Granted, nobody is, but um, I, I know that I have changed dramatically for the better, I hope, uh, in the last 10 years. And uh, masonry has given me a lot. And uh, I, I would hope that more people would look for things like that in their life. Um, when you're a younger guy and you don't know what to do with yourself sometimes and you're you're searching for something, Masonry might not be the answer, but it is certainly something that is out there for people if they want to, if they want it. And if you want to be a Mason, go online, look up your local lodge. Um, Each state typically has its own website that has a find, like a a searcher, a search lodge finder, however you say that. (laughs) (laughs) They'll get you in contact with people who will learn more than willing to talk with you. So yeah, if you want to be one, you got to ask one. (laughs)
2: Thank you so much for sharing all of this information with
1: us. Well, I I really appreciate you guys having me on.
2: Thank you. I loved all the information. Yes, you gave us more information than I was expecting, which is great. I wanted to
1: hear all about it. Yeah. You're more than welcome. All right, guys. Thank you
0: so much for tuning in today. And we really appreciate you coming in today, Patrick, and talking
2: to us more about the Malheur cave. We hope you all enjoyed.
0: guys for tuning in today and diving into this mystery with us. Go check out our website if you want to see our sources, pictures, and other information from this episode at curlyconspiracies.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and search for the handle Curly Conspiracies. This podcast is brought to you by May Gua Ren Productions, Brooke Sasser as a scriptwriter, host, and researcher, Holly Lowerman as a scriptwriter, host, and researcher, Chris Sasser, photography and graphic design, roundtable audio productions. The theme music is composed by Victor Wayne Music Production and Invito Market.
3: Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older.